Mike Ward speaking. Hey, Mike, it's Curtis Stone calling. Curtis Stone, how are you? Yeah, really good, thanks, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well, mate. Thanks for asking. Look, I just want to tell you, I am a huge fan of yours. <laughs> and for anybody who doesn't know who you are, multiple restaurant owner, father, cookbook author, obviously huge television personality, but most of all, one of the loveliest <laughs> mix of most successful food personalities, but yet one of the most humblest chaps I've ever known in the food space. Yeah, look, I think, you know, it's... it's it would be hard to change who you were if you really wanted to, regardless. And I think when you come from a place as chilled out as Australia, it's um, it, it, it you are what you are. You know, people say, "Gee, you've kept your accent," and I say, "Well, it's not by it's not by choice. Not that I would change it if I had the choice. I wouldn't. I love it. You know, but." Um, it's just the way you are, I guess. You don't have much say in that kind of stuff. Well, as humble as you are, mate, you got almost to the end of season three of Celebrity Apprentice. (laughs) I think you were beaten by Brett Michaels. Yeah. And you earn yourself the nickname of the Quiet Terminator. You're the only person I've ever met that's been fired by your new US president. This is a mad, scary thought. I actually thought it was pretty funny back when he started running. I said, I can tell everyone I got fired by the president, but now he is the president. It feels a little different somehow. Imagine if Anthony Bourdain and Martha Stewart had a love child. And that little boy grew up to be a chef, writer and cookbook author with an incredible passion for talking about all things food related. And he had a radio show where he'd chat with smart, funny food personalities and celebrity chefs. And they'd talk about the most provocative topics and recipes, ingredients and tips. Legally, we can't confirm that boy is Mike Ward, but you're listening to Devour with Chef Mike Ward on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks. Oh my lord, I have the biggest smile on my face right now. Episode one of Devour with me. This has been months and months in the making. In fact, I guess when I think about it, it's really been years in the making. Finally, I get to enjoy with you my two biggest loves in life. One is media and storytelling, and the other one is food. A little bit about me, if I may. I grew up in Australia as a kid. I had no idea what I wanted to do through school, so I did what most kids do in Australia, is we go on this thing called walkabout, which is basically a fancy Australian word for travel. I spent about a year and a half in Southeast Asia, India, China, and I arrived back in Australia with two bucks in my pocket, but no idea what I wanted to do as a career. But I did realize that everything I'd done on that trip, every moment that I enjoyed, every memory that meant something to me was in and around the idea of food and my taste buds. I had a friend at the time who I went through high school with who had just started a chef's apprenticeship, started at a restaurant. He said to me, you got to come in and meet my boss. 24 hours later, I had a silly white hat on my my head, and uh, I was a cook. And here I am today. The goal of this show is very simple, or or potentially difficult to execute, and it's certainly given me some sleepless nights recently. But the goal is this. I have a strong feeling that there is a lot of topics surrounding food that's on the tip of your tongue. It certainly is mine. And I want to talk about them. I have such a long list of people that I want to get on this show and things I want to talk about. I really want your involvement because if this isn't a conversation, basically, it ain't worth anything. I want you to get onto my website at chefmikeward.com. There you will find all my social handles, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I want to 
to hear from you about who you want to hear from, the questions that you would like me to ask. But most of all, we're going to have so much fun. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in right now. Let's get back to the big, handsome Australian chef, Curtis Stone. Devour with Chef Mike Ward. One question that I have been asked for years and years coming from the same country as you, we are blessed down there with some of the best produce, meat, uh, dairy on earth. We import virtually nothing. We have it all year round there. You are really the poster child of what we do down there so well from a cuisine standpoint. How would you define Australian cuisine? Well, look, I think the first thing to think of is a cuisine is a close representation of a culture, you know, and... Um, no matter where you are, if you're in France, the cuisine, like the culture, is very romantic, it's very particular, it's very uh, detailed, it's very layered. If you're in Italy, it's very rustic, it's very friendly, it's very loud, it's, you know, it's, it's very family-orientated. So I think in Australia, you know, if you think about our culture, we're, we're a very young country, we've been there 200 years. Um, in many ways, we're quite anti-authoritarian. You know, we were settled by the British a couple of hundred years ago, mm-hmm. but we were a bunch of convicts. So, you know, I, I feel like in Australia, we like to break rules or bend rules or challenge boundaries. And I think with food, um, we're exactly like mm-hmm. that. You know, our background, of course, is rooted in Europe, and there's a lot of Italian and um, uh, European, British uh, influence in our history. But... More recently, you know, with the Southeast Asian influence, there's a lot of uh, Southeast Asian um, ingredients and technique that's sort of, you know, been adopted into the the Aussie kitchen, so to speak. And, um, you know, I I feel like Mm -hmm. it's because it's a young country, you know, there's, there's a... Hi, it's Mike Ward here. I was just on a call with Curtis Stone, but I'm not sure of his extension there. Yeah, that's me, mate. I'm so sorry. It seems like I'm so excited with my answer. I pulled the uh, cord out of the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez, mate. I thought maybe you had enough of me and hung up. You're listening to Devour on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks. And to cure your cravings, get online at chefmikeward.com for hundreds of tasty, simple recipes and a whole lot more. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people forget that, you know, being a cook, it's a very working class um, job. You know, you, you start off with limited skills and there's people in our in our industry that have no skills, you know. And um, so, so when you talk about my, migrants and migration, a lot of those working class folk come to a new country and one thing they can do is peel an onion and peel a carrot. And, you know, so quite a lot of that low-skilled workforce does end up in a kitchen, which is a beautiful thing, you know, because I think if it's embraced, then that influence in both technique and, and use of different ingredients really filters through um, uh, a, a culinary scene, and, and that's certainly what's happened in Oz. You raise an interesting point. I, I, I have this discussion often with people, maybe it's just a personal angst of mine, but cooks and chefs that refer to themselves as artists I think we're craftspeople, and it's interesting to hear you say that cooking is a blue-collar job. I mean, you're getting in there, you're getting your hands dirty, you're restricted by a certain by certain things. We're not artists in that we can create anything we want. There are certain limitations in both ingredient and technique. What's your feeling? Are we artists or are we craftspeople? I, I've always referred to it as being uh, a good chef is a good technician, so I'm in your camp. I think we're certainly... Um 
you know, it's, it's a very methodical job if you do it well, and it's about learning learning a craft or learning a skill. And I think once you have a solid base in technique, sure, you can then start to be more creative with it. And, you know, there's, there's creative accountants. You know, probably not the ones you want working for you if you don't want a tax problem. But there's there's cre- there's creativity in virtually every industry, and of course, cooking is no different. In fact, you know, it, it is one that you can sort of have a very artistic flair. But you're not born with a God-given talent that allows you to uh, be this incredible, incredible creative chef. You know, you need to learn your craft, and um, that's certainly the most important part of, of our job. I think it's refreshing to hear you say that because I get approached by a lot of young people and I think, you know, chefs are the new rock stars nowadays and I think some chefs do present what they do as almost a, a conduit for this God-given <laughs> talent and I think that that yeah, can be intimidating yeah. for young boys and girls wanting to get into our craft. Yeah, you're very true. You know, like it, it, yeah, you're absolutely on point. All you need to do is... Uh, Get cooking, and the reason you can cut an onion really fast is because you've cut thousands of them. It's that simple, you know. Well, speaking of creativity, I want to ask you about Maud. Now, it's one of two restaurants that you own in Los Angeles. You opened in 2014. You've won virtually every award you possibly can. What I love about this restaurant is you take one ingredient per month and you make a 10 course tasting menu out of it now 2017 january i know you're doing limes for a lot of people limes are something you squeeze on a pad thai or it's garnish for a vodka soda yeah how do you go through this creative process of creating 10 mind-blowing dishes out of one ingredient you just gave me an idea with a a vodka soda because i'm (laughs) As usual, this time of the month, I'm, I'm usually pretty stressed and still trying to work out the, you know, the, the way this menu is going to actually eat. Um, but I think, you know, for me, it's always been more about sort of uh, an exploration of ingredients in some way. So, you know, you're absolutely right. We think about limes in a certain way. Um, and I want to think about them a little differently, and I want to sort of challenge my, my guys in the kitchen to really understand ingredients better, um, and that was sort of the concept of the, the restaurant. So, you know, when we talk about lime, I say, all right, well, what is it? What, what, what's out there? What are all the varieties? You know, there's, um, there's finger limes that are native to Australia. There's lime leaves. There's, of course, your standard limes. There's a thing called a Mexican lime. There's a Mugat lime. Or a, um, so, you know, look, there's, there's a variety of different limes that you can sort of go and source that do have, you know, slight changes in taste, texture and stuff. So we play around with that first. But then what we really do is we say, all right, now let's work on the components, you know, so... Of the lime, yes, you can use the zest and you can use the juice, but let's dig a little deeper and say, what can we create from um, mm-hmm. from that particular fruit? And, you know, we'll dehydrate it, we'll freeze it, we'll turn it into a snow or an ice cream, and we'll turn it into a custard, and we'll think about what we can, you know, put into an ISI canister, and we'll do what we call our elements. So we might end up with 20 or 30 different ways to use that particular ingredient. And then we'll look at those elements and say, how does that element work in a particular dish that works cohesively in a tasting menu? So mm-hmm. in some ways, it's, um, it makes our job easier by having a relatively narrow focus because you don't have to, you know, you're not having to <clears throat> think about absolutely everything. You're thinking about something quite specifically. But I think what's really interesting from a chef's perspective is you walk out of it towards the end of the menu saying, 
Well, I never would have thought I'd do that with a line, but now we are. And, you know, it, it makes it a very um, interesting place for the, the cooks in the kitchen to work because they're, they're constantly seeing something new and something different and innovative because we've got literally nowhere else to go with it. We've, that's the only, the only way we can handle it. You know, I love hearing you say that because, and it goes back to what you talked about is the idea of being a craftsperson versus an artist in that, you know, I've got two young girls. There's nothing that I enjoy more than coming back into my own kitchen and creating something out of what's there. There's something that I think drives more creativity when you're a little bit handcuffed. I totally agree. I, absolutely. I think it's sort of, in many ways, the key to creation you know, you start with the problem and then you figure out a way to fix it. And um, I think that that's a very different attitude than, um, you know, just in a way I wanted to sort of flip farm to table on the head. You know, I love farm to table Mm -hmm. and it's how I cook for my family a lot at home. And um, it's it's an effective, an effective, uh, delicious way to to put a meal on the table. But to me, um, you know, if you do want to dig a little deeper, then you've got to challenge yourself in a greater way. That comes from restriction, let's say. Now, you've just opened a second restaurant in Los Angeles called Gwen. Uh, you've opened it with your brother, Luke, but it's not just a restaurant, it's also a butcher shop. Well, we both started out in a butcher shop. You know, our first jobs were both, uh, both working with meat, um, but they, neither of them lasted very long. I really quickly transitioned to becoming a chef, and um, he actually moved on in his career to do other stuff, and he eventually worked with my mum, who was a florist, so... So we've both always had a real love of meat and sort of, I guess, in some ways, a little saddened by what's happened to, to your local corner butcher shop. You know what it was like growing up in Australia. Um, there was literally a butcher shop on every corner. Yeah. In the States, they're, they're almost, uh, they've almost disappeared, butcher shops. There's hardly anywhere. Um, and it's a, again, it's a real craft that I think is important to society and, uh, um, you, you know, something that, when you want to cook for food, you've got to start with good ingredients. And, you know, there's, there's a real craft there that I think has been a little lost. Um, so we were sort of hoping to bring that back in some way and saw an opportunity to get good, interesting, different types of ingredients, um, different game and things like that in the, uh, in the butcher shop that weren't otherwise available in LA. So that's sort of what we decided to do. I have an older brother and he's also in the cooking business as well and I love him to death but I could never ever go into business with him. <laughs> does Curtis Stone run a dictatorship? Do you two walk in the cooler as one does in a professional kitchen and bicker it out in there? Look, it's a really interesting dynamic because you're, you're absolutely right. You know, if you have um, a friendship or a relationship outside of what um, would normally be the, the way that a a, a business relationship would work that complicates it but it also strengthens it we, we get into it sometimes you know and he's my older brother so I have to learn to shut my mouth and listen up but uh, <laughs> which like you say you're not used to doing as the, as the chef you're normally the boss so um, I think it's a good thing you know I've also become a father uh, in the last five years and I think that changes you a lot as a human being and um, you do run a kitchen differently than how you used to run it anyway you're listening to Devour on Sirius XM, Channel 167, Canada Talks. And to cure your cravings, get online at chefmikeward.com for hundreds of tasty, simple recipes and a whole lot more. 
you were trained in some very, very high-end restaurants in Europe. It's a very military-type dictatorship in the kitchen. Yeah. It's a very yeah. formal way of communication. This is not a, a diplomatic space. It's top-down, and that's the way I was trained. I think you were trained that way too. What is the style in the kitchens that you promote in the restaurants you own? Look, it's tough. You know, if you've, got to, you've got to be honest with yourself, right, when you, when you walk into this business. And I, I honestly feel like um, out of all of the kitchens I've worked in, most of them have been, um, have been tough. And, and I want to create a good environment for my guys, one that they learn a lot. Um, I feel like it's, it's the, if, you, if you write out all of the priorities, you know, when, when you join our industry and you say, all right, from the top down, what do you want? What do you want out of this? You don't, the, the first thing on your list, or at least the first thing that shouldn't be on your list is I want a really nice work environment where everyone's friendly and everyone's kind to me. And, you know, to me, that should be number five or six, you know? So mm-hmm. on top of that should be, I want to learn. I want to grow. I, I, you know, I, I want to be able to create. I, you know, I want those skills. You spoke about the craftsman skills. Well, to get those craftsman skills, you know, I feel like if, if that's your first priority, right? And unfortunately, I wish it was different, but it's not. Everybody wants to eat dinner at the same time. <laughs> and that's what yeah. makes it really high pressure. If people started coming in for dinner at 9 o'clock in the morning and they left at, you know, 8 o'clock at night, we could have the simplest. You know, that's why a pastry kitchen works so differently because they don't have that same manic stress that you have um, during yeah. service. Now, that doesn't mean you need to scream at people or belittle, belittle people or, or, you know, be aggressive like some of the kitchens I've worked in in, in my past. And, you know, look, that, that works for a certain type of person. I personally really enjoyed that um, hardcore, intense, you know, I played Aussie Rules football back home and if you, you know, like there's that white line fever that people talk about, you know, you cross that line, you walk onto the pitch and suddenly, you know, your opponent wants to kill you and you want to kill them and you go at it for a couple yeah. of hours and then the siren blows and you shake hands and go and drink a beer together and it's, <laughs> you know, like there's an element of a kitchen in that for me and I sort of, you know, I was lucky enough to find myself in a kitchen where, you know, we, we sort of thought we're pretty, pretty special, you know, we win all the awards and yeah. Marco was at one point, you know, the best chef in the world in many people's opinion and you felt really proud to be a part of that team and you felt really proud that not everyone could make it in that environment, but you were one of the ones that could. Yeah. So there's a strange dichotomy of um, emotions that happen when you work in a place like that. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I'm so fortunate and so glad that I did it, but I'd never want my child to have to do it, if that makes sense to you. <laughs> well, it, you know, being a dad also, we now live in a day where everybody's a winner. Joey and Steve and Susie all get a medal, no matter where they come in the race. Right. You know, I wanted to ask you about the power of Instagram, the power of social media, the power of Yelp. I think that it's exciting that it has made food much more accessible and people have more of a an education of food than they're perhaps aware of. But from a restaurant owner's standpoint, do you find yourself dealing with customers now that have a false sense of knowledge, whereas if a few years ago, maybe they didn't? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think... Um there's been a big pulling back of the curtain, so to speak, that's happened in many ways through television and through um, you know, social media and 
people have different levels of access to a kitchen and restaurants than they, they used to, which is, which is a great thing. It's done amazing things for our industry. But it's also made everybody an expert, like you say, including um, potential staff. You know, you mentioned before about young guys wanting to uh, enter the industry and young guys and girls, I should say, entering the industry and, and you know, um, want to become artists and want to become um, all these different things. And that's great to have ambition. But the truth is, um, you, you know, you don't learn something from reading on the internet, you learn something from putting it into practice and, uh, you know, practice. It, it's, it's like thinking you could go kite surfing by watching a tutorial on, on the web. You know, you yeah. can't, it doesn't work yeah. that way, unfortunately. You've got to, you've got to fall down a thousand times and hurt yourself a couple of times before you actually know how to operate those kites. I've tried it. It's not easy. You're one of this modern breed now where you own restaurants and you've got the television and the cookbooks. And obviously you love all aspects of that. Otherwise, we wouldn't know who you were and you would be a humble restaurant owner. But what is it that you love the most? I know I know, it is cooking, but you must love it all. I really do. I mean, I guess the reason I got back into it is because I really missed it. You know, and it's funny the stuff you miss. I missed opening 100 scallops every morning and I missed sort of the banter of the kitchen and the, the messing around with the close-knit group of guys you know we we have family meal every day together and it's one of those special moments that you get to sit down with with your team um but we call it family meal for a reason it's like sitting down and having a family dinner with people that you really care about and um i i guess i miss that camaraderie and and that sort of that challenge that everyday challenge as much as anything mm-hmm. um but sure you know there's, there's something really nice about bumping into someone on the street that got one of your cookbooks and tells you that he cooks salmon every Friday for his family because of it. And that, that makes you feel pretty special too. So, you know, there's, uh, we're, we're very lucky that the industry's moved into what it's moved into and there's lots of different opportunities within it. 2017, you've partnered with an organization called Chrysalis. It's a LA organization and you take people into the kitchen, is that right? And give them an education, give them a leg up in life through a, a culinary education? Yeah, that's right. Look, it's, it's kind of a first step program, I guess. Um, people that have been down on their luck or found themselves without somewhere to live or, you know, potentially even in a prison, um, you know, through all the research, uh, a job is the first place to start, you know, and if you've been incarcerated, mm. it's not the easiest thing to do to just walk in and say mm. to someone, well, well, where did you work before? Well, I was actually in jail. You know, that that's usually yeah. a way to end a, uh, a job interview. Uh, yeah. The truth is, you, you know, they're human beings like everyone else, you know, and they might have found themselves in, uh, in hard times, but I, I felt like, you know, the restaurant business was a, a, good, a good environment to give them a a second chance, and um, we've been super fortunate. We've, we've met, you know, dozens of people over the over the few years. We've had some employees that haven't stuck around too long, and we've had others that have, you know, gone on to become managers and uh, been with us the entire time we've, we've been operating. Mm-hmm. So it's a really, really um, gratifying thing to do, and, and giving people that opportunity has, has meant the world to me, to be honest. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I think what a lot of people don't realize that have never worked in a professional kitchen is that it really is a, a microcosm of real life. You are working in 
physical close quarters. Right. There's two or three hours over every day where it, it is immensely stressful. You know, it comes to this kind yeah. of adrenaline-driven yeah. crescendo. And if you are not working as a team, you will fail. Yeah, it's so true. You know, there's people from all walks of life and different cultures and speaking different languages. And um, at the end of the day, like I always say, we all sit down and eat family meal together because we're a family, and that's all there is to it. You know, and it's, it's like any other family. You dicker, you squabble. Yeah. Sometimes you do the wrong thing by each other. But if, if you're a strong family, you find a way to figure it out and, and pull through it. So that's sort of, uh, that's how we try and do it anyway. What's the one little thing that you eat late at night that you know you shouldn't eat? <laughs> Mate, I've put on more weight than I'm going to admit to on the phone. But we've, uh, in Los Angeles, they have the best tacos that I've ever eaten anywhere in the world, including Mexico, by the way. I've, I've eaten all over Mexico, and they have incredible tacos here. And there happens to be a couple of good vans right on my route home, which isn't too far from the restaurant. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well known around a couple of taco stands here in L.A. Okay. You, you want to give those places a shout-out? What's their names? <laughs> you know what? They don't even have names. They're just little vans. And they, we, I can tell you where they park. One's on Pico and Crescent Heights. I don't even, don't even roll off my tongue because they're, uh, yeah, <laughs> you just text on the way and they, they drop it out through the through the car window, do they? No, I stand in line like everyone else. I speak to a lot of chefs about this. I always find it interesting. One or two ingredients that, whether you're cooking at home or in the restaurants, that always come to top of mind, that you always find a way to slide in because for some reason they just resonate with you. Well, kale. I've got a big veggie garden. I grow so much bloody kale. I've constantly got to figure out sourdough to use it. So that's the first thing. Uh, that, again, that's through necessity. And I guess another ingredient that I love um, is fennel. I use fennel a lot. I think it works really well with both seafood and meat. So many different ways to use it. So that's uh, another one of my favorites for sure. All right, mate. This has been an absolute blast. I've been a fan of yours for years. And um, please, don't ever lose this lovely Australian humility that you have. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. All right. We'll chat soon. Take care of yourself. That was the very elegant Chef Curtis Stone from Los Angeles. Guys, this brings episode one to an end, and it has been so much fun. Uh, It's also been quite a few sleepless nights and a fair bit of stress, but hey, I guess anything wonderful in life is, uh, well, it's not worth it unless you're, uh, you know, you're kind of on the edge about it. So I truly, truly hope you've enjoyed it. A lot of work has gone into this, um, building this kind of structure for this show. But most importantly, none of it is worth anything unless you guys are enjoying it. And uh, I want to hear from you. ChefMikeWard.com is my website. Not only is there a whole bunch of recipes and videos on that website, but that is also how you can contact me. I've got all my social handles on there, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And, of course, my email address on the contact sheet of ChefMikeWard.com. I want you to tell me who you want to speak to, what you want to talk about, what you want to ask them. Because without you all, I am basically standing in a closet talking to myself. And that's really no fun. So, please reach out and thank you for tuning in. And uh, I will see you next week.